Well, good morning. I don't get to say that very often in these Facebook classes. Welcome. This is You Have Found the Right Place. This is Bill Allen's Facebook studies on Thursdays, except it's usually Thursday afternoon. So we'll see if anybody finds me or not. If you're here, hello to you. And if you want to say hello, that's great too. If you're watching live, it is 11 o'clock in the morning, Central Time here in Texas. I uh, have a, a, a schedule conflict this afternoon. So wanted to uh, share this message with you, and uh, it's it's a wonderful, wonderful psalm that we get to look at today. We're going through the book, uh, The Songs of Jesus, a study of the Psalms, a daily devotional guide, actually, taken from the Psalms, written by Timothy and Kathy Keller, looking at all of the Psalms throughout the year, and uh, taking a few days for some of the longer ones, such as Psalm 103. And it is a great uh, psalm. It's one that you've probably sung before. There are all kinds of versions of the first part of this psalm and also the last part, which says, Bless the Lord, O my soul. Let all that is within me bless his holy name. And depending on your translation, that might be praise his holy name uh, or something else. But that is the way Psalm 103 begins, and it continues on throughout the psalm, calling on all of humanity to join with all of the rest of creation, interestingly enough, in blessing and praising the Lord our God. So let's get right to it. This is not going to be a long lesson, even though the psalm is uh, three days in the devotional book. It is a, a wonderful psalm, and again, it's one that you're likely familiar with and one that I know that you will be blessed by as we read it today. So Psalm 103, the first few verses, Praise the Lord my soul, in the New International Version. Praise the Lord my soul, all my inmost being, praise his holy name. Praise the Lord my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion, who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. That last part is a similar uh, uh, to a statement that's made in that very familiar passage in Isaiah 40 where God promises to renew our strength uh, uh, like on wings of eagles. And you probably have a plaque or a a, um, a nice little memento uh, somewhere in your possession that quotes that last part of the of Isaiah chapter 40. Uh, but here in Psalm 103, uh, the great psalm begins, Praise the Lord, my soul. And uh, a few comments that the Kellers make about biblical meditation. They say biblical meditation, unlike the popular varieties of popular meditation, as it's called, is not a relax, relaxation technique for emptying the mind, but rather one that fills it with truth, using thought and memory to set your heart on fire. I think that's a great, great point. As we think about meditating on God's Word, we're reminded of being prayerful, of reading and studying God's Word, the Bible, and you can't separate biblical meditation from uh, the Word of Truth. Uh, throughout the Psalms, it's a call back to God's Word and to the truth of God's Word. And this Psalm does the same thing and points us to what the Word says about the nature of God 
and the call of creation uh, that sings his praise. Uh, and so it's not biblical meditation. It does relax us and it does bring us peace. And that is part of the design, I think, that God's, God created us to have. Uh, but it's not just that. Biblical meditation, the whole idea of meditating, means you're meditating on something. Jesus at times spent all night in prayer, but he did that for a purpose, such as when he prayed all night before he called his 12 apostles out of all the disciples that he had already gathered and were already following him in one way or another. There were 12 that he called upon to be his closest followers, and they were the ones who were the 12 apostles. Um, David dwells on the truth that God is a loving and merciful and forgiving God. Uh, he forgives all our sins. He heals all our diseases, redeems our life from the pit, crowns us with love and compassion, satisfies our desires with good things, and renews our youth like the eagles. Well, you know, those things are wonderful, and we praise God for them, and we meditate on them and dwell on them, and in them we really find our hope. Uh, God forgives sin and eventually will remove all of our sufferings and diseases. And as we read that, you realize, of course, that he hasn't done that yet. He hasn't removed all of our sufferings. He hasn't healed all of our diseases. And so obviously David is thinking more of a spiritual sense and also more in the eternal sense. Uh, when we ask, as 1 John says, we receive forgiveness of sins. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just or righteous to forgive our sins and to purify us or cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Those view verses right there around 1 John 1, 7 and 1, 9 are wonderful verses that remind us of that. But we realize that in this world, we don't have that suffering, that physical or emotional suffering removed just yet. And scripture acknowledges that. Jesus acknowledged that and experienced that. Um, and so while sin blocks our relationship with God, uh, suffering has a purpose in this life. Suffering can help us to be more dependent upon God. Paul himself said as he prayed that great prayer in 2 Corinthians 12, to have this thorn in the flesh taken away from him, whatever that was, um, and the answer to his wonderful, faithful prayer from this devoted missionary and apostle was, no, no, I, I won't take that thorn away, but I'll give you something in its place. I'll give you my grace. And that's when Paul was inspired to write, his grace is sufficient for us. When I am weak, then I am strong. And so that suffering, even though God didn't remove it, Paul recognized that it could serve a purpose if he would let it. I've discovered in my life, working with people and working and thinking about reflecting on my own life, that suffering and difficulty can bring us closer to God and more dependent upon Him and grateful for His presence during those times, or it can also turn us away from God and blame God for the suffering that we might be enduring. We realize that uh, Christ has promised us His presence. He hasn't promised us anywhere in Scripture, Old Testament or New, that he'll take all those sufferings away in spite of what this verse says. So maybe we should keep reading because those aren't the only verses in Psalm 103. 
just as they're not the only verses in the Bible. So let's keep reading. Psalm 103, verse 6. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. He made known his way to Moses, his deeds to the people of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. Another word for sins. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions, another word for sins, from us. Isn't this a great psalm? Don't you just love it? Um, and uh, lots of things to talk about in these uh, verses and in these passages. And we recognize, as the Kellers say, that God's anger is different from ours. Um, it's uh, I love the book Unoffendable. My friend and co-minister David Carter shared that book with us. Uh, a good while back when he was doing our devotionals in our staff meetings uh, for a month and he shared some things from that book unoffendable and I read that book and it is it is powerful uh, because God is the one who has the right to be angry when you talk about anger we talk about righteous indignation and I realize that yeah that's a thing but at the same time ultimately as this book unoffendable brings out it is only God who knows the truth of the whole matter. Sometimes we get angry about things that we think are unjust and then it turns out, well, we didn't have the whole picture and we certainly weren't seeing God's purposes in it. And so that book, Unoffendable, basically is a long drawn out, wonderful piece that describes what Paul talks about in Romans 12, which is, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord quoting the Old Testament. And so Paul says in Romans 12, even though he had much right to be offended and angry, uh, he says, you know, I'll, I'll leave it to God. I'll leave it to God. Um, God is the one who knows. He is the one who is just when he, when he rules. He is the one who has the right to punish and knows the whole story. And so I'll let, I'll let him take care of that part. And for my part, as Paul ends Romans 12, he says, I will not be overcome by evil but instead will overcome evil with good. Well, the Lord works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed, but he does it in his own way, according to his wonderful wisdom and purpose. Just as Jesus prayed in the garden, just as he taught us to pray, may your will be done. Sometimes that will may not include us being relieved from the things that we're suffering, just as Paul experienced just as the Lord experienced. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. Um, we look back at Exodus 33 and 34 when Moses was uh, going to uh, the Lord, standing before the Lord and was about to receive his law. And as, as he does that, Moses looks to God and he says, um, uh, show me your glory. These people, they're so hard. Show me your glory. Uh, and um, and God says, okay, I'll put you in a cleft of the rock. You know that song, A Wonderful Savior, He Hideth My Soul in the Cleft of the Rock. Uh, that's where God puts Moses, and then He allows him His glory to pass by, and Moses only sees His back, because in that time, in this world, can't see the whole person of God and live and survive it, but he sees enough of his glory to where his countenance is raised. And one of the things that God says as he passes by is exactly what David quotes 
In Psalm 103, verse 8, the Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in love. Uh, and yet, as the Kellers say, that verse, that passage in Exodus 34, goes on to say that God does not leave the guilty unpunished. And we don't like to think about that, do we? We like to think about how God forgives and his love is limitless, and that is true. Uh, how he, uh, he takes care of us and he forgives us and he provides for us and all of that's true. But it doesn't change the fact that God is not just a loving and merciful God, but he is a holy and just God. And those who have been oppressed, they, they cry out for God's vindication and that means judgment. Judgment on those who refuse to repent. Judgment on those who will not look to God for that grace and love and forgiveness and seek to live accordingly. Um, certainly this psalm reminds us that as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for us. As far as the east is from the west, that's how far apart he has separated uh, our transgressions, our sins from us. And he only could do that through the cross of Jesus Christ. David didn't understand that. He believed it. And he received it uh, because of his horrible sins. And yet at the same time, it wasn't until Jesus came and gave his life on the cross that we realize how God could be a just God and a righteous God and a holy God and yet at the same time forgive sins and remember them no more, this psalm says, and also um, that great passage in Jeremiah chapter 31. As Jeremiah says, that's, that was looking ahead to a new covenant. And that new covenant is based on the love of Jesus Christ. Uh, and so we continue on in this psalm uh, in two more parts. Psalm 103, verse 13. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. He, he realizes uh, David says that um, we have limitations that God doesn't have, and he gets that. Uh, I love how God approaches Job when he finally comes around towards the end of Job, and he responds to Job himself. He says, prepare yourself like a man. God confronts Job as he is. He remembers that he is just a human being, that he is dust, as are we. The life of mortals is like grass, Psalm 103, verse 15 says. They flourish like a flower of the field. The wind blows over it and it is gone and its place remembers it no more. Peter would talk about that as well, quoting the Old Testament and contrasting it with the word of God. He says, but the word of God endures forever. Uh, humanity being dust in this physical body, this physical body decays and, uh, and passes away just like the beautiful flowers of the field. Uh, Joyce loves to plant flowers in our on our front porch and our back porch, some kind of plants, and and they usually come out every year with some annuals that are beautiful uh, for a while, and just as the name would indicate, then they're gone, and the next year they have to be replaced. Well, that's the way humanity is, uh, but God's word and God's love abide forever. Verse 17 of Psalm 103, But from everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who fear him, and his righteousness with their children's children, 
with those who keep his covenant and remember to obey his precepts. So we realize that in all of those wonderful promises of God's love and God's forgiveness and separating our sins from us as far as the East is from the West, it doesn't give us permission to say, well, since God forgives, I can just live any way I want. And that's exactly Paul's point in Romans 6 when he says, well, we're saved by this wonderful, marvelous grace through our response of faith. So should we continue sinning so that grace might increase? And that's when he says, absolutely not. We die to sin. How can we be buried? How can we live in sin any longer? Um, for we died to sin and we were buried with Christ through baptism into death and we were raised to live a new life. Why do we live faithfully? Not in order to be saved. Uh, we're saved after we respond in faith when we are died to sin and we are buried with Christ through baptism into death. Uh, we're, we're raised, we're saved, and we're raised to live differently, to live a new life. Um, that's the righteousness uh, that Psalm 103 speaks about with those who keep his covenant and remember to obey his precepts. That's how we're called to live. We don't do that perfectly, and that's why Jesus had to come and die. And that's why we're saved by grace through faith uh, rather than through the works of law, such as the Old Testament Jews understood. Uh, that law provided no forgiveness of sins, it just said that God would not hold them account for a while. And the writer of Hebrews makes that very clear, that those sins were left unpunished until the sacrifice that could bring that forgiveness was made, and that was made by Jesus Christ. And so we continue reading and finish out this great psalm in Psalm 103, verses 19 through 22. The Lord has established his throne in heaven, and his kingdom rules over all. Praise the Lord, you his angels, you mighty ones who do his bidding, who obey his word. Praise the Lord, all his heavenly hosts, you his servants who do his will. Praise the Lord, all his works everywhere in his dominion. Praise the Lord, my soul. This great psalm calls on all of creation, calls on every everything in heaven and on earth to bow before the Lord and to praise his holy name. Uh, much as uh, Paul writes in that probably a first century hymn, a very early hymn to Jesus Christ, the great sacrifice. In Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11, he did not consider equality with God something to hold on to, but emptied himself, made himself nothing, and took upon himself the form of humanity, and not just any person, but a servant, and even was willing to go through death, and not just any death, death on a cross. And Paul ends that great passage by saying, Therefore God has made him higher than everything else. He has given him a name that is above every name in all creation, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Living 900 to 1,000 years before Jesus was even born, David couldn't sing that song. He couldn't know that song. But what he did know is that all of creation is called upon to praise the Lord. Everything in heaven and on earth and under the earth is called upon to praise the Lord. Uh, and we are called upon to join them. Uh, the psalmist calls on his own soul to praise the Lord at the very beginning of the psalm. Let all that is within me bless and praise his holy name. And he ends it the same way. Praise the Lord, O my soul. 
he realizes this connection with all of creation. Humanity is created by God. All of creation, everything that's been made has been made by God. Um, and so all of that is called upon to sing those praises to its maker. How do they do that? By functioning the way God created them to function. Whether it's the birds singing or the mountains standing stern in such great, awesome beauty and power, the clouds that are rolling by, the sun that shines, whatever it is in creation, we see that uh, praising and blessing the Lord who created them, and we do the same. How do we do that, Bill? We bless and praise the Lord from our souls, from our hearts. Let all that is within me bless his holy name. All God's works in heaven and on earth are already singing to God. The question is, will you join in? Will you join in and sing those praises to God, doing what he created you to do the same way that all of the rest of creation does as well. Faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ is the only thing that enables us to do that because uh, he has separated our sins as far as the east is from the west because he forgives our iniquities and our transgressions and, and forgets about them because he is a merciful and loving God and at the same time a just and holy God. Uh, we seek to live obediently to him. We seek to live faithfully in his sight and we can only do that through the saving blood of Jesus Christ. When we praise God, uh, we hear his joy experienced and we share the voice that we have, that God has created in us with the voice that all of creation has. And as the Kellers say, I want to sing my part. I hope you do too. Let's close with prayer. Father, we praise the Lord from our souls, from our hearts. Let all that is within us bless and praise your holy name. Let us join with creation, Father, and sing the song you've given us. Use the voice that you've given us uh, to spread your word and to share your message. But first of all, Father, to join with all of creation to praise you for your love, for your mercy, for your compassion, for your forgiveness but also, Father, for your holiness, for your justice, for your righteousness, righteousness of God that we receive because of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. Help us, Father, as we've been raised to live a new life from the waters of baptism, that we will remember that that new life calls us to praise the Lord, O oh, my soul, let all that is within me Praise and bless your holy name. Through Jesus we pray. Amen. I hope that you have a, a wonderful uh, weekend. And if you want to catch this lesson at 3 o'clock today, that's fine. You're welcome to do that. Good morning to my dear friend and sister Bobby Fuquay. And God's blessing to all of you who will take part in this lesson and read the great Psalm 103. And bless the Lord. Uh, with all of your soul, let all your inmost being bless and praise his holy name. God bless.